Hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So glad you're joining us here tonight on this gorgeous, gorgeous spring day. Um, thank you for, again, uh, tuning in with us. Uh, I do want to make a quick little announcement that um, uh, if you uh, have more information about who we are as a church, newarkupc.info. Um, also, you can go ahead and um, partner with us in giving. Um, uh, you can also join a small group. We actually have codes. Uh, you don't have to drive. You don't have to fly. You don't have to take a plane or a train or an automobile. You can just do it from the comfort of your home. Um, and you can go ahead and tune in with us as we do this amazing series about failure and expectations. Something so relevant, especially uh, today and what's happening uh, in our world today. So it's it's a it's very applicable to uh, your life. No so please, um, oh, ignore me, Siri. But um, please, you know, do tune in with that uh, and get that information um, online and join a small group. Uh, we'll be we'll be there next week. So. Um, we are doing a series on dude that's gross and uh we thought it'd be something good to liven up the, the weeks here um it's actually you that's gross but i think dude sounds so much cooler um dude that's gross but that's kind of so my my story uh we're gonna go all the way to the judges and um and it's not for the faint of heart uh again if if you um um are you know girls thought about this kind of stuff then maybe you should turn this off because it's this is going to get pretty graphic and um i i don't want to in any way to ruin your walk with the lord and in any way to you know hurt you have this image in your mind uh, you have been warned again it's like the warning sign like warning warning um so i'm you have been warned i'm just letting you all know okay so we're gonna talk about some really gross stuff okay um so judges chapter three and uh, I want to read the, give the context of what's what's happening here, because we're going to look at chapter three uh, about what is going on right now in Israel and uh, gives us kind of a clear idea. So once we read our story, uh, we all have a better idea of what's going on. But here's Judges chapter three. Here's verse one. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in the order that the that the generations of the people of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. Uh, so again, this was a test by Israel. So, you know, Joshua and uh, the Israelites all come from Egypt. They wander in the desert. Um, they, they come into the promised land. They defeat these people and they settle in the land. However, they don't get rid of all the tribes. And, uh, and again, we see here that the reason is, is because, a lot of it was just test for the Lord. Um, it was to test the the Israelites, is to uh, make sure that they understood who their God was, uh, and and you know they they didn't grow. This is a generation that you know didn't go in the desert and things like that. So it's 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 a way for um, God to keep in um, keep them close. So then we go to you know verse twelve, and um, we read about a, a particular individual that we actually don't you know, read a lot about. Um, and actually he, it's kind of a big deal. He, he does a pretty amazing things and um, he keeps peace in the land. Uh, Judges chapter three, uh, verse 12. The Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. There you go. So nothing has changed. The Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because they had done evil in the Lord's sight. You're going to do evil in my sight? Well, fine. I'm just going to let people overrun you. Eglon formed alliances with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and he came and he defeated Israel, and they seized the city of date palm trees. 
What else is referred to as date palm trees? The city of Jericho. So this was the city of Jericho. I, I don't know if you guys remember the city of Jericho. You know, they all walked around. No one said anything. It was very quiet for a whole week. And the last day, they all shout and the walls fall down. Yeah, that same city. Yeah, it just got captured. Um, verse 14, the Israelites were subject to King Eglon of Moab for 18 years. And Eglon means doubly, doubly wicked in Hebrew. So uh, there you go. He's really wicked. And that's his name. Um, actually, probably wasn't his name. This is just how the, um, the Israelites were probably describing him. He's very evil. For 18 years. Verse 15, but when the Israelites cried out for help to the Lord, he raised up a deliverer for them. His name was Uhud, son of Gerah the Benjaminite. Remember, Benjaminite means uh, son of my right hand. A left-handed man. Well, that's kind of ironic. He's, he's a left-handed man, and he's in a tribe that's right-handed. Um, verse 16. I'm sorry, not verse 16. I'm going to continue to read uh, verse 15. And the Israelites sent to the, him to King Eglon of Moab with their tribute for payment, because they have to give payments to the and give tribute to this king. Because remember, they're all captive. They all are uh, subjects of this king. Ehud made himself a sword in verse 16. Why is he making a sword? Um, because they control the armory. They control um, all the weapon making. And so he has to make his own weapon. Um, it has two edges and was 18 inches long. That is one large. It's, it's very long here. So, And he strapped it under his coat, under his right thigh um that'd be really uncomfortable but he, it is all the way on his right thigh he's walking around with this really sharp knife uh hopefully he doesn't fall um he wrote verse 17 he brought the tribute payment to king eglon of moab now eglon was a very very fat man and make sure you guys understand that he was a fat man um and this is a compliment that he had great portions of food, that he was really healthy. Remember, remember, um, if I lived in ancient you know, in ancient times, I would I would be royalty. I mean, you know, if you're fat, that's a good thing. That means you're healthy, that means you don't have to fight for food, and you know, you're not like all the other people who are you know starving. You know, you you have so much food that that you know you're just you're you're just nice and healthy and and, and plump. Um, and what's interesting is this term this used for fat is also the same term used for sacrifices that are offered to God. You know, they, you know these calves need to be nice and healthy and fat. Uh, it's the same language that's used when, when it's describing this king. So, so it's interesting. The, the, the writer judges is just kind of like, he's kind of foreshadowing, just saying, all right, guys, this, you know, he's like a sacrificial, you know, lamb here. Um, and he's just kind of describing in these languages and these words that are used, you know, throughout the Hebrew Bible. Verse 18, after Ehud brought the tribute payment, he dismissed the people who had carried him. But he went back once he reached the carved images of Gilgal, and he said to Eglon, I have a secret message for you, O king, Eglon said. Be quiet, all his attendants left. When Ehud approached him, he was sitting in his well-ventilated upper room all by himself. It is a very well-ventilated, that means... That means it is open. Um, you know, you can smell anything. It is a well-ventilated open room here. Um, and, and he brings a tribute. 
be quiet. He lets everybody go. Uh, and he approaches him while in the room. And he says, I have a message from God for you. That's verse 20. I have a message from God for you. When Eglon rose up from his seat, Yuhan Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled the sword from his right thigh, and drove it into Eglon's belly. That's This is powerful, right? And the handle went in after the blade and the fat enclosed around the blade. And for Ehud, was not able to pull the sword out of his belly. It just sucked it right in. This is crazy, right? Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Now the handle went right in after the blade and the fat closed. And Ehud did not pull the sword out of his belly. It was sucked in. Now this is a net version. There's a word there in Hebrew, Peshadona, which... It's, it only happens once in the entire Hebrew Bible, and it's, it's, in, this, it's in this occurrence. Um, some believe the, the word means acromants, you know, excrements, feces, um, stool, refuse, bowel movement, um, or in my house, the most popular word, the infamous poop. Um, so that's kind of how they translate it. And if you read some of the other translations, they actually bring that out. Um, if you read the New Living Translation, it says the dagger went in so deep that the handle of the severe beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger and the king's bowels emptied. So there you go, the bowels emptied. Uh, the New Revised Standard Version says he did not draw the sword out of his belly and the dirt came out. So there was kind of dirt. Was he eating dirt? Was it really dirt? Or is this guy just, it looked like dirt? Um, and here we see the ESV version. Um, he put the blade in and he did not pull out the belly and then dung came out. So most likely a bunch of feces and again, a very famous word in my house, poop was probably coming out. Um, actually there is a, uh, uh, so really it's the writer is bringing out this, you know, scatological, um, portrayal of this king and if you learn anything about this devotion tonight and our little thing here tonight is the word scatological which is the study of excrements and feces and if you you know you could get a phd in this um you could probably go to a university and 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 look at that and this could be something you could you know share with friends and you could be at a you know, a very nice, well-ventilated, socially distanced, fast-making, you know, uh, face mask, you know, party and, and say, you know, you're a scatologist, you know, you have a PhD in scatology and, and people will be like, well, that is great. That's awesome. You know, um, but really you're just, you're just an expert in poop. Um, so there you go. That's, that's, that's something I learned in my study today uh, about <laughs> this passage. See, this is why you need to, you know, look at the word of God and just let it speak to you. And there's all kinds of fun things. You just, it just sort of pops right out, pops right out. So anyway, so anyway, poop just comes out of him. Again, remember, this is a big guy. Um, we don't know if, if you know, he was taking Marillax or, or he didn't have that. Maybe he was really constipated. Maybe, you know, he had all kinds of problems. Maybe because of his maybe high rich in protein and fat and caused all kinds of um, problems for his digestive system. Um, we can, again, I like to speculate. I'm a speculator. Um, but, but obviously, so, so for our, for the, for our purpose of our story, it's, it's all this poop just comes out. 
All right. I hope you guys get that. Um, all right. So verse 23, verse 23. As Ehud went out into the vestibule, he closed the doors of the upper room behind him and he locked them. In verse 24, and when Ehud had left, Eglon's servants came and saw the locked doors of the upper room and they said, he must be relieving himself in this well-ventilated inner room. So they, they waited so long that they were embarrassed, but still did not want to open the doors of the upper room. Now, why did they think he was relieving himself unless the excrements from his stomach smelled so bad that the order of the feces filled the palace? Because remember, it was a very well-ventilated room and everyone knew the king was pooping. And, you know, this was kind of crazy because you know, they had animals. There was animals at this time, right? There was animals walking around and, uh, you know, animals, I don't know if you're very familiar with animals, but animals all have to poop. And, and so can you imagine just all the smells here? But they had a distinct smell for the king. They knew when it was his. It was really bad. And it filled the entire palace. I mean, that's how bad it was that they were like, oh, he must have been going to the bathroom again. Uh, maybe we should wait. Well, he's been in there for a long time. Is he reading a book? Is he writing a book? What is he doing in there? Um, so, they, so they waited. Finally, they took the key, they opened the doors, and right before their eyes was their master sprawled out dead on the floor. Oh, no. Now, Ehud had escaped while they were delaying. And when he passed the carved images, he escaped to Sarah. And when he reached Sariah, he blew a trumpet in the Ephraimite hill country. And the Israelites went down with him from the hill country, and Ehud in the lead. And he said to them, follow me, for the Lord is about to defeat your enemies, the Moabites. And they followed him. And they captured the fords of the Jordan River opposite of Moab, and they did not let anyone cross them. That day, they killed 10,000 Moabites, all strong, capable warriors. Not one escaped. Israel was humiliated Moab that day. I mean, Israel humiliated Moab that day, and the land had rest for 80 years. 80 years there was rest in that land. But, ew, that is gross. The smell in the entire house. Again, I love the writer of Judges. He's, he's kind of like explaining. He's like, all right, and just so you guys know, these rooms are very well ventilated. Just just stick around. I, I'm, I'm getting to something here, okay? And there's a lots of breeze. There's, you know, you could smell everything in this palace. And he's just kind of leading us up to what's going to happen. Um, but I find fascinating was the first two verses I read in Judges. Uh, in chapter three. And it was, now there are these nations that the Lord left. It was to test Israel. It was a test to uh, test Israel um, and to test their warfare, to remind them. So what is interesting, these nations were kept in the background and their sole purpose was to test a generation that did not experience the Lord and did not see the battles that had ensued and that they came out of. They did not grow up in Egypt. They had not experienced slavery. They did not experience the hardships of the desert. They had forgot. They were um, here still figure out who this God is. And they had, what they have done in the meantime, they had forgotten who their God is and they had forgotten who they belong to. They had taken their Canaanite gods and were leaning on other gods instead of the true God. And that's when their lives began to fall apart. They were conquered for 18 years for this by this Moabite king, and life was hard, and finally they were tested, and someone 
who was in the background listening to the voice of God, defeated the enemy for 80 years, but the Canaanite nations were still there because they were placed there by God to test his people, to remind them who their God is and where their help and their salvation comes from. If you will give me a little bit of liberty here, I just want to preach for a few seconds, for a few moments here. Let me remind you that maybe the sickness in your life, the financial burden in your life, that the unanswered prayer in your life is just there as a test to remind you where your healer is, who your healer is, where your problem, where do you go when your problems arise? Your life seems to fall apart at the seams, but who is your king? The reason God doesn't answer all of your prayers, the reason sickness doesn't seem to go away, the reason financial burdens don't disappear once and for all, completely annihilated, gone from the face of this earth, is that God has to constantly remind you where your help comes from. He is the solution. He is the solution to all your problems. The problem is we have a ten tendency to turn to him as a last resort. Paul talks about a thorn in his side, a constant reminder of a nuisance of his infirmities, his utter complete dependence on this master. My dear brothers and sisters, I yes, I've been talking about excrements and, and defecation, but I want to take a little moment here and talk about what God is doing in your life. And maybe those annoying things on the side that you're saying, I should have overcome this by now. It should have disappeared by now. Maybe they're there as a test from God. And just as a constant reminder, don't forget where your help comes from. Don't forget who is blessing you. Don't forget who is in charge. Yes, you might start leaning. And, it's, and, and we're very capable of this here living in this industrialized nation, this very blessed nation where you know, we have all kinds of resources and opportunities and, and we can refuse whatever we want. I mean, we have everything at our disposal and we can easily slide and forget who is our constant help. And God keeps these things on the side. They don't disappear. But as a reminder, a test. Where does your help come from? What do you do when things get bad? Do you turn to me? Why am I a last resort? Do you know I'm here for you? So we have this idea that God is, he wants us to be really happy and really blessed. And well, I'm, I'm sorry, we don't have this idea, but there's this idea going around that, that God wants, you know, we want to be blessed and, and have no problems and, and no sickness and nothing. And we just, we're just completely living heaven on earth. And that's just not the case. That's what we want. But, but God has a different purpose. His, his purpose is to make sure that, that you stay close to him. And if that means not healing your infirmities, if that means keeping you on a paycheck to paycheck, if that means he's going to go ahead and put some little constraints on your life just to remind you where your help comes from, he's going to do that. Because remember, his whole point is not to have you forget about him. He wants to be constantly in the center of your life. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, I love you. God, I worship you. Thank you for your mercies, God. 
Help me, Jesus. Help me, God, to remember that whatever sickness or problems or burdens that are on me, Jesus, that I remind myself, Lord, that you, Lord, will help me get through them all. And that, Lord, I need to rely on you. Keep you center of all my problems. Keep you center of everything I do. Because at the end of the day, Jesus, you're the ultimate solution. You are the solution, Jesus, to every problem. And God, I'm so grateful that you saw fit to bring me into your kingdom. I pray right now for my brothers and sisters, Jesus, that you, Lord God, would be in the center of their lives and that you'd be a constant reminder that no matter how many idols they have in their life, that they all will eventually fall. And the only thing that will live and stand in the middle is you, Jesus. You, Lord God, are ageless. You, Jesus, will not fall. When everything else falls, you'll still be there right in the middle, holding everybody up. Be with us this week, Jesus. Let us continue, Lord, to learn about you. Let us continue to grow, God, in your relationship with you, Jesus. We pray in your precious name, in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, please do tune in with us tomorrow. Um, we do have a exciting interview lined up. Uh, you do not want to uh, miss it. It's a beautiful, beautiful love story. Um, and uh, you do not want to miss it. Uh, again, it's at 7. Um, and then also... Stay tuned, comment, like, share, partner with us in giving, and, um, and, and we'll walk this together, and July will be here before we know it. So just, just hang in there, stay connected, uh, stay grounded, stay committed, and, and uh, let's see what God has in store. So God bless you. Have a great night, and I will tag with everybody tomorrow night. Goodbye.